Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents and carers. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Today, we're revisiting one of our favourite interviews from the archive. I hope you enjoy it. Autism. What is it? How can you tell if your child has it? How do you get the right diagnosis? And once you do, how do you get the right treatment? According to Aspect Australia, autism is estimated to affect every one in 100 people, and it affects four times as many boys as girls. Over the next four weeks, we will be looking at autism. We will look at what it actually means, what the spectrum is, how to get the right treatment, and what the future can look like with early intervention. We'll speak to both experts and parents who have lived experience of having children with autism. Today, in part one, Leanne Hawke joins us to talk about her experience with her son, Riley, and how it was a long and winding road to diagnosis. Hi, Leanne. How are you? Good, thank you. When did you start to realise that something was different about Riley? Uh, Probably around the age of two, two and a half. Prior to that point, he had been pretty, if I use the word normal, hitting all his milestones, even to the point where my husband and I thought that he was probably gifted. He was talking really early and counting. But then at around two, two and a half, things just kind of stopped, even regressed a bit. And he became a lot more, um, just very unsettled, wasn't sleeping as great, just didn't seem as happy and mixing with other kids was quite difficult. And Riley's our only child, so both my husband and I were sort of asking each other, oh, is this normal? Is this just what happens? Um, we'd ask friends and they'd say the same thing. You know, boys, they you know develop slower than girls. So we kind of just monitored it but didn't do anything. And it wasn't until Riley's daycare teacher stopped me one afternoon and said, oh, I think I've got a few concerns about Riley. And I can still remember the day so vividly. And, you know, we immediately then, I took him to my GP and everyone was still saying, like even the daycare teacher and the, and the GP were saying, oh, maybe there might be something there. You know, his speech isn't that great. Um, but, you know, the word autism hadn't even come into our mind. And then um, we start, you know, went to the GP and then had to get a referral to see a pediatrician, which was about a three-month wait. And then, you know, from that point, from finally seeing a pediatrician to when we got a diagnosis, it was probably a good six months going from specialists to, you know, therapists, back to specialists and psychologists and OTs and just such a roller coaster of a ride, as you said. It was um, lots of tears, lots of, it's you know, having professional people pointing out all the things that are wrong with your child is just, is heartbreaking because to my husband and I, he was just Riley and, you know, he was perfect. Can you talk us through during that time of trying to find diagnosis, how was Riley behaving? And you've mentioned that he wasn't perhaps socialising too well, he wasn't speaking a lot. Did he have any challenging behaviours that were difficult for you as a parent? He had quite a lot of issues in the fact that he had lots of sensory issues. So even certain textures, so food textures, so his diet became very restricted. He just stopped eating foods that he was eating, you know, 12 months prior. And even wearing certain clothes, like I had a pair of tracksuit pants. I remember it was, uh, the winter had just sort of started, so I put him in a pair of tracksuit pants and they had an elastic band around the ankle. And he was so cranky and unsettled all day and kind of kept grabbing at his legs and he couldn't tell me that it was his pants that were annoying him. And then I finally figured it out that it was the pants. 
and just changing that pants. It was like a different child then. So lots of sensory issues and mixing with other kids became quite, not, not really aggressive, but if anyone came in his space, he didn't cope very well and just, you know, sitting still, having to do something, if, if it required him to sit still, that just wouldn't happen. He was so hyperactive and, and required so much activity to try and, I suppose, burn some energy. Parents can be very, um, unfortunately, can be quite judgmental and we all, I think, cringe when our child has a, a tantrum in public. Mm. Was that something that was you, you went through more frequently, do you think? Because obviously Riley's feeling all these things but can't communicate them and that's often when toddlers, if they don't have language, start to... Yeah. Mis- well, misbehave for want of a better word, but it looks like yeah. that to the outside world, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, definitely. And we um, and we still do to a certain degree, but I'm usually a bit more prepared for it these days. But a simple sh- um, you know, trip to the shopping centre can be quite distressing for Rye, and, and it sort of always has been. But yeah, just you know, the general public can honestly be so rude, and it's so heartbreaking when you know you're trying to deal with a child who is. You know, they're not having a tantrum because they haven't gotten a toy or something. They're having a, a, a meltdown because there's too much noise or the lights are too bright in the shopping centre or there's too many people around. So it's not because they're being naughty and not getting their own way, but the general public, all they see is this child, this little, you know, say a brat having a, having a tantrum. And, um, yeah, I had several occasions where people would simply just stare at me, say comments to me, you know, oh, well, you know, he rules the house in your household and you know I had one gentleman I had Riley in a pram until he was probably about five and that was only because I could keep him restrained in a pram when we were at the shop and I um I had a gentleman have a go at me for putting my five-year-old in a pram saying you know he's far too big to be in a pram like what kind of child sure he can walk on his own it's like well he's in a pram because if he wasn't he'd be running around then you'd have something to comment about so um, yeah, people extremely insensitive. So even some professionals that we saw as well, I'd had to take Riley to a different GP once. And the way that this GP, because Riley, you know, doesn't like you know the stethoscope, doesn't like having his the paddle pop stick shoved down there, his throat to look at his tonsils, and he, you know, had a bit of a meltdown in the doctor's surgery. And even a, a professional was just so rude with the way that he spoke, and you know, almost yelled at Riley to sit still and stop misbehaving. It's like, well. He's misbehaving because he has no idea what's going on. So just the attitude of people and how uneducated they are about autism. And of course, to begin with, before you got the diagnosis, Riley would have been experiencing these things and behaving this way without you knowing why. Yeah, exactly. How did that make you feel as a parent? Um, Well, you sort of feel like a bit of a failure. You're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to be able to sort of control your kids in public and keep them quiet and you know your kids are supposed to be doing this and especially when you're comparing them to your friends kids or relative children and you sort of your child can't even sit still at a birthday party or has a meltdown and stuff and you sort of think oh what's something wrong with my child and yeah it's really heartbreaking when things don't go to the plan that you thought was going to happen. Leanne what kind of impact did that have all of that confusion, the stress, the emotion, what kind of impact did it have on your relationship and, and what kind of impact did it have on your partner to see this happening? We both really struggled with it. We both really struggled to 
comprehend what was happening. And especially when those early days when we were going through the diagnosis process, that sort of six months where we were kind of in limbo and had no idea what was happening and going to all these specialist appointments. And, you know, both of my husband and I, we would both cry and think, what, what's, what's going on? What's happening? Um, you have these images of what your children are going to be like. And, and when that doesn't happen, it can be really sad. And you, you could go through a bit of a grieving process for losing something that you thought was going to happen. Yeah, definitely put a strain on, on our marriage and just the you know, fact that there was so much extra stress and heartache and thinking, you know, is it something that we've done? And we both dealt with it in different ways and adjusted to it in different ways as well. I think my husband took a little bit longer to adjust to it and accept that this was what was wrong with his child. What helped you through that period of trying to find answers? Was there anything in particular that made it easier? The one thing that I think was sort of a bit of a godsend for me, I met another mother through a friend who had a child on the spectrum and uh, her son was a few years older than Riley and having her support, and I still do today, we're really close friends, and having her support and just being able to debrief to her and vent to her and, you know, saying, is this what happened? Is this what happened to you? And and it just sort of normalised everything for us. It was really an isolating process because we didn't really know anyone that had been through the same thing. The best thing that I could have done is finding someone that had been through it and knew exactly how I was feeling. How did you feel once you were actually given that diagnosis that Riley was on the autism spectrum? It was a bit of a mix of emotions that, you know, one half of my husband and I was just just heartbreak, you know. It was just, you just sort of think, especially because you have this image of what autism is and, you know, your child's got a disability and, and having no idea what the future was going to look like for Riley. Was he going to be like he was at three and a half? Is that what he's going to be like forever and not being able to speak? And we couldn't see where the future was going to go. That was the heartbreak and, you know, have we sort of lost our child kind of thing. But then the other side was just relief that, oh, we've finally got an answer. We finally know what it is that's um, that's happening and, right, where do we go from here? So it was definitely a mix of emotions, you know, happy that we'd had, that we'd got answers, but just a real sadness that, oh, this is, you know, this sort of label is going to be attached to our little boy now forever and, you know, what's going to come from that as well. So Riley was, he was three and a half when he was diagnosed, is that right? Yes, that's right, yep. And he's seven now. Yeah. How's he doing? How are you all doing now? Yeah, he's doing really good. I mean, we still have lots of hurdles to jump, but the progress that he's made from then to now has been pretty incredible, especially in his speech. And I think that was the biggest thing because he couldn't communicate with us and tell us what was wrong. That was what a lot of his meltdowns came from because he simply couldn't verbalise what was wrong. So his speech has improved and he can tell us now when things are wrong and we can communicate much better. And just, you know, little things like mixing with other kids and that sort of thing has just really improved and he's becoming a lot more social. I think the biggest thing is that my husband and I have learnt so much over the last four years and we're learning how we can really get into Riley's world and learn how to communicate with him and how to play with him and and help him the best that we can. What would you like your friends and strangers even to know about your life that would have made the process of finding out what was wrong easier and also life now easier? My biggest thing is greater understanding and awareness. Everyone, you know, anyone that I can talk to and, you know, on social media through Facebook, I constantly am doing Riley updates just to educate people and let them know that 
this is what autism is and this is what we live with every day. So don't judge us. You know, this wasn't Riley's choice. He didn't decide to have autism. It's just kind of what's happened to him. So, you know, don't blame him for it. Greater awareness is going to give Riley and every other child with autism such a better life. So if people can just have some patience and have a bit of a kind heart and say hello, you know, get into their world. Don't just ignore them. Like Riley is so loves saying hello to people and you would be so surprised at how many people when we're at the shop just ignore him. He will say hello to every single person he walks past. And I, 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 it fathoms me that why people cannot say hello to a little seven-year-old that's standing there waving at him. But he's very persistent. He has been known to chase people down. Good on you, Riley. <laughs> and, yeah, until they have said hello. Good on him. Well, Leanne, yeah. thank you so much for talking to us today. We really appreciate your honesty My pleasure. and speaking to us about Riley. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.